so yeah so hello friends uh, this is anshuman tiwari and we are at my channel and uh, podcast called manage better as you know i bring to you uh, topics and guests and you know speakers who can uh, relate to the theme of managing better and bring various dimensions of management and leadership to the table today i am delighted to bring you uh, ramesh durairaj ramesh durairaj coaches ceos sales and pre sales teams in his consulting practice he is currently a writer consultant and very interestingly chief problem finder at leaders anvil Uh, we will get to know more about the problem finding part um, uh, he has uh, a vast experience in the mostly in the it services industry over 30 years uh, working with majors like tcs infosys wipro and mindtree um, has anchored deals over 2.5 billion dollars um, led large software teams interestingly also was um, head of quality for one of these uh, companies that he um uh, that i spoke about which um, which is interesting because it brings together the consumer and uh, quality part which i am very passionate about and we'll speak about it uh, during the session um some years ago um, he used all this experience and um, that he had and brought it together into a book uh, which became a best seller uh, and which is one of the reasons why we are talking today the book is called games customers play and if you haven't read it or um, or or want to learn more about it please check it out on on, on amazon and um, i think it was read the or listed the most memorable business books of 2018 so um, a very accomplished speaker author and consultant in the space of you know how customers think what customers think in uh, in today and which is very critical in today's scenario so i bring to you ramesh durairaj ramesh uh, yours for some opening comments and then we get into some questions anshun uh, thank you uh, wonderful to be here uh, and you know having followed some of your uh, podcasts uh, i can see the passion of uh, getting things done uh, taking priority over you know thinking about what to do Uh, people tend to say analysis by paralysis uh, you can have uh, 25 brilliant strategies but uh, a guy with one decent strategy but who executes it well will beat a person with 25 brilliant strategies who you know keeps gazing at his navel and just doesn't get to work yeah. so that uh, really uh, it it really is uh, uh, wonderful to see Uh, a podcast that focuses on getting things done uh, rather than about thinking extremely deeply about things uh, and doing nothing after that so uh, and my book as well if you really look at it is uh, in a sense uh, uh, a sort of a a gentle kick i would say uh, to to prod people into thinking about uh, things fast and then moving on to action uh, and we will obviously look at it in more depth as we discuss it but that's why i'm really delighted to be here no thanks thanks a lot ramesh um, thanks for your time as well and i'm i'm hoping that you know this unique mix of um, quality and uh, you know consumer insight 
will be good for our listeners so i i thought i'll start with a uh, you know with a question which brings together you know these topics you know so your book uh, games customers play is all about customer relationships how they think what they do and you know why they do maybe uh, and on a daily basis um, what do you think customers are saying and more importantly not saying and how does one decipher it amongst all the noise you know because there is usually a lot of noise and from that noise you are trying to pick what the customer is actually saying or not saying yeah uh, in, in fact uh, uh, the noise is so much uh, that now uh, an office going now of course office is at home but a city dwelling office going person is bombarded by about 100000 words every day mm. uh, and you know there is so much of competition for this attention and there's so much of distraction that uh, an average human being's attention span uh, is now at about 8.25 seconds so that's the kind of uh, noise that is out there but coming back uh, you know how do you decipher uh, the signal from the noise uh, let me start with an example imagine uh, you're getting into a local coffee shop you know which is possible about 7 months back uh, a, a small one selling probably some idli dosa and coffee uh, you order a coffee say 10 rupees and out comes this waiter with a headdress starched white uniform gold buttons you know golden white cap uh, and he carries one large silver tray with a nice beautiful china pot of coffee some cream and some cookies what's the first reaction guys i'm not paying for this i asked for a 10 rupee coffee uh, so if there is a dissonance between what the customer wants and the customer is being serviced by you uh, the, the signal itself uh, becomes very difficult to decipher if you only do what you do and not what the customer uh, you're listening to the customer uh, so there are quite a few signals that customers and prospects send uh, we tend to ignore them uh, because of our enthusiasm and you know the pressure to co- collect customers as i call it uh, collect the logos that you can mm. put on your powerpoint presentations and the pressure to sell more uh, which mm. is a natural pressure every, every business wants to sell more Uh, but in this case i was walking into a bare bones uh, tea shop uh, which is on the road side I, i do so because i expect ready made tea in a stainless steel tumbler or probably a paper cup so the first signal uh, to you when a, when a customer comes in uh, is why is that customer coming to you i mean if if somebody if somebody you know uh, i mean you're a tea seller mm-hmm. at a roadside uh, or a peanut vendor and somebody in a mercedes benz s class comes and you know uh, opens the door for the person at, who gets off from the back and comes to you and says i want uh, a cup of tea uh, the, the scene itself is very incongruous yeah right the first signal therefore is the size of the customer 
larger customers tend to be more powerful and they're likely to use their size to get a better than fair deal for themselves. Hmm. Uh, they'll promise volumes, they'll promise visibility, uh, whatever. Uh, but at the same time, they would ask for a better than fair deal. And that's usual because yeah. that's the way they're structured uh, as they grow and with multiple silos within that organization demanding the best. For example, the users will want the best. Uh, whereas the finance in that same company would want the cheapest. Cheapest. And the sourcing people will want the most favorable terms. Uh, these are signals that you can easily discern and anticipate. Uh, in fact, your attention should go up a notch only when these three traditional stakeholders are not playing those traditional roles and stray from that script. Only then uh, is it something unusual. Again, we know, you know uh, that government is one of the largest customers. They send out different signals. Uh, they're similar to large companies, but they also want to make sure that how they buy is not only fair, but also seen to be fair. Right. And so they have multiple uh, restrictions on how they buy, how they deal with you, even during project executions. Uh, some companies, uh, you could check out reputations. Some don't pay promptly, some drag acceptance, some uh, demand changes, even after the uh, things are signed. Uh, some startups, unfortunately, in India have uh, gained uh, uh, a rather uh, unsavory reputation for not making payments. Uh, and uh, that makes people, especially freelancers like me and other small companies which cannot afford a true and customer hesitate to service those startups as well. Sorry to say that, but that seems to be uh, something that's happening uh, not infrequently. So the key to understanding your customer messages uh, is to first understand, obviously, the customer's size and, and behavior, past behavior in the market. And then also the nature of the relationship with your customer, especially with respect to the power balance that exists. Mm. Uh, and in the book, I talk about those four archetypes of buyer-seller relationships. Uh, the transactional, the personal, seller tyranny, and buyer tyranny. Uh, and these four, uh, once you can slot a customer into one of those quadrants, uh, you know what kind of signals you can pick up and uh, therefore how you sell into them, how you uh, service them, and how you fix issues when things happen. Uh, will be different for each of these quadrants. No, very well said, Ramesh. I think uh, I particularly like the, uh, you know, particularly the, the, the part around the T-seller part where you kind of visualize the whole uh, customer-buyer uh, relationship. And um, and coming from somebody who has been in, you know, multi-million dollar deals, to see the spectrum that, okay, the understanding or the need to understand consumer behavior at a T-seller on the roadside or in a multi-million dollar deal is the same. The need is same. The uh, the yeah. concepts may be different, but the need is same. And uh, which which also reminds me of, of the work that one of my favorite authors, Ram Charan, uh, does is that, you know, he kind of connects the 
fruit vendor on the roadside and say that they are the best businessmen you know they uh, the way they manage business uh, on a daily basis is most amazing um so so i think that uh, this is a very good segue into how where i wanted to get next is that what is your favorite story and i'm sure you've been in many a battle and would have uh, some scars to show as well but um, what is your favorite story of uh, around you know consumer understanding and misunderstanding um can you can pick one uh, or or two maybe I, but yeah. yeah so there are a few so i'll try to give a few examples you know what i found in the service business is that uh, uh one of the frequent things is that it's the supplier who misunderstands the priorities of the customers uh for instance there was this uh, case of a crm system that needed to be rolled out uh it was getting delayed mm. uh, and the message that went out to the customer was that you know you had asked for more features and so you have to wait longer for the whole package to be installed and you know sometimes when we when we convey such decisions we convey it almost as a fate a company you know you don't have a choice uh, it is delayed and it is what it is uh, uh, and but when we reviewed the project later on after you know it went live uh, the customer actually said you know guys i really wanted only a few features up front uh, you could have come to me and told me look we can't roll the whole thing but uh, a few things uh, rolled out first and then later uh, we could have talked about how to roll out the rest of the features uh, you know i was really puzzled as to why you guys made the assumptions about my priorities mm. so so i think that's that's one of the, uh, the first things we do is we tend to think it's either all or nothing um you know the customer is either extremely happy or extremely displeased uh, there's no middle in between and then that's how in the in the pressure of doing stuff and in the pressure of uh, uh, keeping the customer happy and all of that we sometimes miss that there is a, a broad spectrum of uh, possible choices available to us especially yeah. when faced with a crisis and and that's when misunderstandings become uh, more uh, the second one was a it services co- company that i know and which is developing a payroll uh, program for a us company mm-hmm. and everything was going fine and it was going to testing uh, acceptance testing and then the customer says hey there is no w2 form now w2 form for us uh, uh, the indian equivalent is the form 16 the tax deduction at source mm. yeah uh, thing that needs to be signed and given to the employee saying i have deducted so much of tax and given it to the government we i mean uh, that feature was completely missed and the customer was saying how can you miss this i mean this is like if it's payroll then w2 is under part so yeah is something you can't even not think. think about right it's about you know again a misunderstanding that led to a, a little bit of a fiasco there uh, another powerful yeah. example uh, that uh, is more recent was 
when there was a bid for maintaining the entire uh, ERP uh, and rolling out a few more features uh, for an electrical manufacturing major, a worldwide leader. So the focus on that meeting was about, you know, we thought it was about cost savings. And so we went in with graphs which showed how much they can save, how much, uh, you know, and all that. Uh, I think it was the fourth slide when the CIO of the client organization stopped us and said, guys, you know, are you sure about this? Are you, have you understood what I want clearly? Because you can't deliver it at this price, you know, mm. please do, please go do rework. Uh, I'm, I'm free tomorrow as well. So we can have a, a discussion tomorrow in the evening. Uh, thankfully we went and we, uh, you know, we worked out. Uh, the, the thing is a complete misunderstanding of the customer thinking it's cost savings that was the, was the most important thing. Whereas for the customer, it was something else. So, yeah, yeah. As the adage goes, you know, the, that when in doubt ask, you know, and most of the time in consumer relationships or customer relationships, especially in B2B, uh, many of us actually don't even ask, right? So we assume. Um, yeah. I've been in several situations yeah. from uh, some years back where there was a major quality certification going on and we had to finish. And, um, you know, if I could delay one of the assessments by a quarter, I could have saved a lot of money because then I can bundle it with other assessments. And uh, we we just assume that the customer will not be okay with that. And later on over a you know, uh, casual meeting, the customer says, yeah, fantastic. It would have saved you money. You know, you would have made some profit in a, this is a low margin deal anyway. Why didn't you ask? And um, we were left scratching our heads as to why did we not <laughs> even try? So, so yeah, I mean, uh, you're right. Uh, of course, this was not, uh, you know, a huge loss, but you know, still the, the concept was the same that, you know, all we needed is just to ask. And we were speaking to the customer on a regular daily, almost, you know, weekly basis. So there were plenty of opportunity to do that. Um, so, yeah, so I, I did mention quality. So that probably brings me to the question that, you know, you, you straddled uh, both uh, roles in some ways, you know, most of it is in sales and marketing, but uh, quite a bit in quality. So how do you see these, um, the quality function and, uh, the consumer or the you know sales marketing functions related to each other or interdependent if i may say yeah uh, yeah you know uh, to me customer focus or consumer focus as you, as you call it uh, is about the kind of experience we give to a customer during three stages of the engagement uh, the three stages are uh, buying using and fixing, if you look at it from the uh, customer's viewpoint. Uh, how can we make as, as sellers and suppliers of goods and services, how can we make the buying process easy for the customer? For example, Amazon has got this one-click buy. Uh, and then how can we make the, help the customer use the products and services for that purpose and maybe even beyond. Uh, and the third area of focus is how do we fix things when something goes wrong? Uh, 
I, I think about uh, rather very unscientific uh, data uh, gathering that I've done, but I think about 80% of customer issues that we see or poor experience is about not fixing stuff uh, promptly and in a manner that the customer can verify that that thing is fixed and doesn't create a problem again. So these are the three areas where customer focus becomes uh, important and customer focus is uh, visible to the customer that I am focused to the customer. Otherwise, all that uh, he hears is that, uh, yeah, we are a very customer focused organization. Uh, other than that, he doesn't hear anything. It's, it's only when we give it an experience uh, that they uh, feel our focus. Now, having said that, let's look at quality. Uh, quality for a very long time was measured, even though not defined, as the lack of having any defects uh, or as a deviation from specifications. But then, you know, as we all know, I think uh, the uh, definition of quality or how quality is perceived has... Uh, has become a very much larger uh, concept. Uh, first is obviously it uses, uh, it meets uh, users expectation on outcome. Uh, second yeah. is that the outcome is achieved without the customer having to spend unexpected, unanticipated effort or resources. Uh, and third is this intangible even indescribable way in which something that we supply or uh, you know we we service uh, makes the customer feel better. I, I, I don't know if that makes sense, but that, that's does. how I have. Uh, that's how I've kind of uh, seen quality. Uh, ultimately, as I think Maya Angelou said, uh, you know, people don't remember what you said to them or what you did to them. They remember how you how made them feel. Made them feel. Uh, and I think uh, that is a mantra that uh, I think uh, people in service delivery uh, have to learn and have to internalize. Uh, and you know, and by the way, it's been a journey for me as well, uh, from just merely meeting expectations to uh, making a customer feel uh, better. Uh, and I think this third aspect is where customer focus really makes sense. If customer focus can be uh, on areas where you make the customer feel better, I think the rest will actually follow. And, and, and I think that's, uh, that's how both of them are related uh, as far as I'm concerned. No, I, does I that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. And um, it, it prompts a thought as well that... I sometimes, you know, uh, speak to teams that look, and this is very relatable to the theme that you talk about PM's customers play or what they're saying and not saying, you know, if, if we are struggling with basic delivery and then we go and start offering some bells and whistles and the, you know, other stuff, the customer is not listening and he's probably uh, thinking that, you know, you guys can't deliver me, to me on time and, and what is agreed. And then you are offering me the world. I even, I don't trust you even more now than last week. Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, it, it is, it's a very customized situation all the time, you know, uh, like most situations, 
the same approach doesn't fit and shouldn't fit you know so we must be able to understand okay what is our uh, relationship in this situation based on that uh, service delivery quality and all these things uh, matter if it is fantastic then i i think um, sales service delivery or or uh, you know quality can be the best salesman you know you don't need a, a further marketing at all because you have already proved it um, so I, i think as we as we come to the end of this conversation closer i i just wanted to just sure, sure. Uh, you know thought you know you know you uh, there's no point in servicing uh, an overcooked burnt cutlet in a silver platter yeah you know the customer is not going to be happy just because you serve a silver platter yeah you know fair enough you came there to eat the eat the cutlet yeah uh, <laughs> very well said very well said i think uh, at the end of the day content mat- matters and packaging can only take it this this far and no more so uh, the that actually you know brings me towards you know i'm i'm trying to as we try to wrap up this conversation ramesh um, though i don't want to but i think keeping the format in mind um, but um, you know a, a little bit more about your book um, and uh, you know what made you write it and is there another one in pipeline or something um, something about that yeah so you know human to human interactions uh, is shaped by many forces uh, and they result in a power equilibrium uh, where one holds the upper hand um, and sometimes the power imbalance uh, moves from one person to the other and buyers and sellers too are shaped by many forces uh, that influence uh, where the balance of power lies uh, i was reading this book uh, by daniel goldman uh, called social intelligence and he talks about how individuals treat another individual as a you or an it mm. in other words how a person treats another person as a person or as a transaction or even as an object uh so that got me thinking you know do buyers treat sellers as individuals or objects and why do they do it when when do they do it and similarly a seller can also treat uh, a buyer as a person or as a transaction so when you put these two behaviors you get a two by two matrix which is very popular with all of us yeah and you get this four quadrants so when both treat each other as mere transactions then we can say that that relationship is in the transactional quadrant Uh, uh before we dismiss this quadrant as very impersonal that is where most of our transactions occur at least the base level transactions you know you buying a ticket uh to a, in a in a bus you don't know the name of the conductor the conductor doesn't have to know your name your history to you know issue a ticket if that happens for all your uh, regular day to day transactions uh, if we had to do all of that it will become extremely exhausting and very inefficient Mm. Uh, you know uh, second you have the case where both parties have to know each other very well uh, an executive coach and a ceo for example uh, a specialist doctor a, a senior advisor on the board of a company without both parties knowing each other 
such a relationship would be a disaster. I mean, you won't go to a doctor who treats you like, uh, you know, as a disease, uh, only for, for the disease. Uh, you go to a doctor who treats you as a person. And the same way, when you go to a doctor, you also find out his antecedents, his, his professional capabilities, typically referred or, you know, has been with your family for a long time. So these are what we call as relationships in the personal quadrant. Mm. The third uh, and third is a, is a case where as a supplier, you need to do a lot about buyer, buyer preferences, uh, spend effort in understanding the organization while the buyer is actually not worried too much about what the seller is, except for some basic qualification criteria and whether the seller has some references. We call, I call such, rel, uh, such relationships in the buyer tyranny quadrant because in this quadrant, the power balance is tipped in favor of the customer. Mm. Uh, and, and in most cases, as I said earlier, those organizations are structured in a way and people inside, inside it are incentivized in a way that that power imbalance is not only uh, exhibited, but also in some cases required and mandated by the organization. Uh, for example, you know of uh, uh, you also being in the IT services, you would have heard of cases where uh, the sourcing team says, no, for six months you cannot, for during the bid process, you cannot meet any buyer. Mm. Uh, you can't uh, do that. So what they're trying to do uh, is to reduce your services to a commodity, which can be, you know, kind of uh, evaluated as an apples versus apples case. Whereas actually your services are not, but the, then the customer has so much power that they mandate that your services are that way. And that's the way you need to interact. So that's the kind of power imbalance and th that gets exhibited. And uh, yes, uh, the word tyranny may be uh, uh, a, a strong word, but uh, in some cases it is tyranny. Uh, I can recall quite a few examples I, um, and because of lack of time, I don't want to go through them uh, in detail, but I know of cases where, you know, uh, they, uh, customers have contracted for a five-year contract promising that, you know, for five years, we won't uh, disturb you. And therefore, please give us uh, your best price. And within one year, come back and say, no, no, you have to rebid the whole thing. And you have to waive uh, termination without cost clause uh, that we had uh, in the earlier contract. You have to waive it so that you participate uh, again in the rebid within one year of that contract getting uh, executed. Um, and because it's a large contract, uh, no CEO worth the salt will say, no, I cannot uh, do it like this, this bad. They all go and bid. And that's, uh, to my mind, that's uh, tyranny. Uh, because- No, I think, um, I think in some situations- Yeah. You and I know that tyranny may be a polite word, actually. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we, we, I've seen enough, and you've seen more than enough to know that uh, it could be, it could be polite in some cases. Uh, 
I mean, even little things like, you know, you uh, as a freelancer, you set up a meeting in uh, Pune and you spend your time uh, flying there uh, only after you land at the airport to get uh, this thing saying, sorry, I'm going to be busy. Uh, can we do the meeting next week? Mm. Uh, I mean, uh, if that isn't uh, tyranny, what is? Mm. And anyway, uh, and then fourth, but and less common than the others because it's a quadrant. The fourth quadrant is what we call a stellar tyranny. Uh, you might remember the cases where, you know, uh, the telephone lineman from uh, the local telephone landline telephone guy uh, used to be treated like a king by people, yeah. uh, especially in the 70s, and yeah, yeah. perhaps even in the 90s, uh, because they were the monopoly and, uh, you know, uh, really, I mean, the, the high-handedness with uh, the uh, high-handedness with which they would uh, uh, Behave is quite high. Even now, the the guys who supply gas, even yeah. the last uh, five years back, when it was uh, deregulated, the the person who was delivering the gas uh, would demand an exorbitant amount of money. Yeah. Uh, and so that's that's seller tyranny. Um, so these are the four tyranny. Uh, these are the four quadrants, uh, and that's what the book explains. And then the book explains what do you do if, uh, how do you figure out which which quadrant you are in, and how do you make the move to a better quadrant, uh, and you know uh, how do you sell into those quadrants, how do you handle problems uh, between in relationships in those quadrants. So those are the and I've given a lot of examples and uh, also based it on some amount of. Uh, uh, research into anthropology uh, in terms of human uh, relationships and that's how the book got put together uh, the, the whole idea of the book was I wanted to explain to myself why some customers behave the way they did and why sellers behave the way they did no, fair enough. I think and, very well said. So this book was primarily written as a, a book for me. Yeah, and, and I think all all uh, I've spoken to quite a few authors, and many say that this book was more a reinforcement and clarification for myself. And if it helps somebody else, you know, more than more than delighted, right? And I think with the way you explained the four quadrants, um, I'm sure will engage some of our um, listeners to go read the book. Um, I certainly see, and this is where I connected with this team and with my team of managing better, because we don't decide where we land, in which quarter we land, right? which quadrant we land, but we always certainly can choose where do we go next. And that is managing better that, you know, you land somewhere and then you make your life better uh, quadrant by quadrant is what um, uh, is in our control. So I think uh, one uh, one final thing. Um, any message for our listeners from uh, from a consumer behavior point of view or something? Yeah. Uh, no. I, you know, as an author, uh, my only my final message to viewers is read. Read as many books as you can, and and that's what is going to. Uh, you know, you know, enrich your life. Uh, I, I don't, I don't say read my book. That will be 
be a shameless plug. I don't want to do that. Uh, but read books, uh, read the great authors, you know, any language. Uh, and, and that gives you a better insight into life itself. And it gives more tools. They say, you know, uh, if you have a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, books are about, uh, books are about giving you more tools to handle what life throws at you. And, uh, and that's why I say that's, that's totally fair. That I, yeah, I think wonderful message, uh, Ramesh, because um, I also keep saying that books bring a sense of balance and give a toolkit. So, you know, if, if you, it, it helps you understand uh, what you're doing, life in general, everything in a certain balanced way, and which is very much required in, the, in these times more than ever, because we are bombarded constantly from stuff which is, uh, extremely negative at times and very difficult to consume. If we start responding to everything, uh, it's extremely difficult to manage your day. So thanks, Ramesh. Uh, with that, I'll bring this conversation to an end. Um, sadly so. Uh, maybe uh, we'll do a longer session at some point, but uh, thank you very much. And uh, to our listeners um, and, and people who will watch this session on YouTube, uh, I hope you enjoyed this. Uh, this series will continue. We will bring you more speakers uh, in the next few episodes. So keep watching. Till then, manage better. Thank you.